Amen. We'll be in James 4 this morning, 8 through 15. Got a copy of the Word. Click it on your app or flip to it in your Bible, and we'll be there shortly. We're going to look at for a few weeks, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, plans, goals, dreams for 2023. It's that time of year where we kind of do that. Some of you may have already made some New Year's resolutions. You may be that type of person where you like to make New Year's resolutions. Maybe not. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Whatever. A lot of people do that. Regardless of whether you make resolutions or not, the New Year is naturally a time where we kind of reflect on what has been and think about what will be and, and, and maybe set some goals, maybe make a resolution or two, or maybe just think about it and, you know, I'm going to do better this year, all those types of things. We like to do those types of things this time of year. You know, so, um, you know, a few things on that. Just the thing I would say is may, may all your troubles... May all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. So <laughs> think, about, think about that as we move forward today. But no, I was uh, thinking about it and I, you know, going into the 2023 and I've got several bad habits and I was thinking about quitting all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remember that nobody likes a quitter. So I decided not to. <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I, have, I, have, I have set one New Year's resolution this year. It is to help all of my friends gain 10 pounds so I feel better about myself. <laughs> that's, where, that's the best I could come up with. Uh, everything else is kind of a struggle. Instead of losing weight, I'll just help y'all gain weight, and then we'll all feel better together. <laughs> no, uh, as we go into this, we're, we're going to look at a, a swath of Scripture that we'll dig into in the weeks to come. Today, we're going to look at a small part of what we're actually reading um, to kind of set up the next few weeks. But uh, looking at James 4. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter much, must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like smoke. That appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Father, I come to you this morning, God. And I ask you to speak to me first, Lord, and speak through me. God, give us a word this morning. We come to you humbly with a worshipful spirit, an open heart, and the open ears, God. Speak a word to us and change us this morning, God. Whoever is here this morning or listening through the cameras, now or later on, God, if they don't know you, would today be the day that they, they find salvation and the one true and only source of salvation, God? Through Jesus and his blood shed on the cross. God, and for those that know you as Savior, may we be inspired today 
to grow closer to you more than we ever have been. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, like I said, we're going to spend a few weeks and dig into these verses, um, but we're just going to mainly focus on kind of the end of this little passage uh, here today. I don't, I don't know about you, but Josh did this this morning. I'm kind of the same way. I love the book of James. I love the book of James. It's, it's to the point, uh, and it's to the pointedness also gives it a great depth in, in, in the way that it is to the point in many cases. But when Josh saw me put uh, that, that heading up this morning, he went, oh, I don't know if you do that, but I kind of do that with James because it is like on the nose sometimes when it speaks to you. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think that's one of these times this morning, but we shall see. You may walk out of here like, Whew, wow, wow. I don't know. But that's James. That's not me. Uh, that's how it goes. So we're looking at this, the end verses here. Verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. James is, is setting up what he's about to talk about by, by singling out this group. Uh, this would be, you know, businessmen. This would be guys that were well-to-do. This would be guys that, 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 that had it going on, that, that people knew, that people looked up to. He says, hey, you, you guys that talk about what you're going to go and do and plan and how you're going to make a profit and how life's going to be great and all that type of stuff, you guys, that's who, he's getting their attention. James uses this, this, this strange uh, kind of unique attention grabber when he says, come now. He says that a couple of times in this letter, and he's getting the hearer of this letter when it's being read aloud and the reader of this letter to pay attention to what he is about to say. He says, today or tomorrow, we're going to go here and do that and go to this city and spend time there, and we'll spend a year there, and we'll make money, and everything will be great. Now, what James is not doing is speaking against planning. He's not saying that it's a bad idea to plan. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking against overall in this section and towards the end of this letter against arrogance is what he's talking about, a disregard for God. But it has to do with planning in, in, in that overall scheme of arrogance. And then at the end of 14, uh, James says right there, what will your life be, or what is your life? It depends on your, your English translation. The, the Greek, you could do it either way. It could be a declarative statement. It could be a question. I kind of like it as a question. The, H, the HCSB has it as a declarative statement with an exclamation point, but I kind of like it as a question. What, what is your life? James asks that question. What is your life? When you slow down and you stop distracting yourself, when you take the busyness away and the noise away and the technology away and all the things that we use to make ourselves feel like we're okay, but when it gets still and it gets quiet, what is your life? James throws out these rhetorical questions that just make you go, chill out, man, with the questions. What is your life? What, what are you doing with it? Are you, are you planning it away as fast as possible? What, what are you really spending your time on consistently? What is your life? Do, do you believe that God exists, but you're planning as if he doesn't? Your goals... The things that you're setting, these goals, the things you're striving for, the things you want to accomplish, are, are, they, are they godly at all? Has God even been remotely part of those decisions and those desires? Have you, have you asked God about the plans you're making? Surely you're making plans. It's, it's New Year's. Have you asked God about the plans you're making? Why are you cramming your schedule so full? 
Why, why do we do that? Are you afraid of being still? Are you afraid of being in the quiet alone? Why are you dragging your children all over everywhere all the time? What's, what's the goal there? Is that goal, is it worth it? Have you even thought about why you're doing it? Have you thought about what you're giving up in order to do that? Is that worth it? See, that's what James does, right? It's like, everybody's uncomfortable right now. I can see it. You're all, you're all just like, man, move on, preacher. When was the last time you thought about a plan or a goal, a schedule, and thought, what does God want me to do? Let, let me make that my priority in this decision. What does God want me to do? Or when you're thinking about a goal or a plan or something that you're wanting to do, am I doing this to please man or am I doing this to please God? I don't know about you, but I, I by nature am a people pleaser. I hate letting people down. I hate letting people down. I, I don't like upsetting people at all which is just funny to be in this position because it kind of happens naturally but it is what it is I, I have to guard against that hard I know that in my weakness I'm a people pleaser I have to be careful that the decisions that I that I make in my life and in this role that I'm making it to please God and not you although I hope what God wants us to do does please you because I don't want you to be upset I just I just said that Thomas Sowell is a guy that I, I don't know, anybody know Thomas Sowell? He's an economist. He's in his, I think, early 90s now. Uh, crazy, crazy cool story. Came from nothing. Has done well. He's a, he's a very well-regarded uh, econom, ec economist. And he's good at it. And he's smart. And I've learned a lot about economics and just overall politics and why I believe what I believe and stuff like that because of his wisdom. But he has a, he has a great saying. Uh, and then what? When it comes to, he's talking about it in a political sense, and I'm not talking about it in that sense now, but when it comes to policy making or decision making or goal setting, and, and then what? You know, you go back to the kid. Like I'm dragging my kids all over everywhere, getting them to every sporting event and every single thing that I can. And then what? Where does that get us? And then what? It's a good question to ask. Oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year. I'm going to lose 10 pounds in 2023. And then what? Where did that get you? I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Great. Lose a few pounds. Probably feel better. Be great. But, but the, and then what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard, and I'm going to sacrifice my time and my energy and my, and my relationships. Some of that's got to take a back seat, and I'm going to work hard in my sports so that I can be a college athlete. And then what? I, I got to that point. I was a college athlete. And it was like, okay. I remember reading a story one time of Mike Singletary after winning the Super Bowl in 1985, sitting in his locker after winning the Super Bowl on the greatest defense that has ever existed. He was the middle linebacker on that defense. Sat in his locker and wept because he felt so empty. Because he got to the point where he had done what he wanted to do, and it was like, well, now what? It's a good question to ask. And then what? Let me make something abundantly clear this morning as we move forward. Just in case you've never realized this, I don't know how you couldn't, but you may not have. 
or you may just have forgotten. Life is both uncertain and brief. That I can guarantee you. Life is both uncertain and brief. James says the same thing here at the end of 14. For you are like smoke that appears for a little while or vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You ever watch smoke? I'm a pyromaniac. Some people learned that the hard way last night as I built a a fire that could melt aluminum cans. It wasn't just me. Several of us built this fire. It was great. Like literally these cans disappeared in the fire. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen, I think. But do you watch the smoke come off those flames like they're there? And they move and they go. How do they have a form? And then they're gone. They're just gone. James says that's the way life is. Anybody ever here felt that? Anybody in here ever gone through something where you're like, man, life is fast. I've never met someone that was seasoned in life on up there in years that said, man, it took me so long to get to this point. Like, the last 30 years have just drugged by so slowly. I've, I've never heard one person say that in my life. Every person says, you think it's going fast now, just wait. It gets faster. My granddad, when he had, his, he was, had a birthday in his middle 80s, he's now in his early 90s, almost mid-90s, good grief. He said, as he was getting older, he said, I'll tell you what it feels like when you get to my age. It feels like you have two birthdays a year. It feels like it comes around twice a year. That's how fast these years are going by. That's what James says. Life is, it's, it's like smoke. What is your life? It's like smoke. It's a vapor. It's uncertain and it's brief. Jesus says it this way in a parable in Luke 12. He says this. You, you've probably heard this parable numerous times. A rich man's land was very productive. And he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, precious, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's a parable in Luke 12. You can check me on that. Did you catch that question? Because that's another unsettling question. This very night your life will be demanded of you. And then all the stuff you strive to accomplish, all the stuff you got stored up, all the things you gathered, all these wonderful things, whose will they be? They won't be yours anymore. We're just managers of everything we're given. We don't own a single thing in this life. We like to say that word because it makes us feel good. I own that for now, temporarily. But then whose will it be? Life is both uncertain and brief. James reminds us. And as we go through this uplifting beginning of this let's move into our major point for today James says instead of being like those guys that say hey let's go over here and go over there and we'll spend this time there and we'll make a bunch of money and things are going to be great or instead of being the guy that hey I got all this stuff I don't have anywhere to store it I'm going to build bigger stuff so I can store it and I'm going to sit back and chill and then bam life's over 
Instead of being like that, James says, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, here's what I do. Maybe you don't do this. I won't point a finger on this one. But here's what I do when it comes to stuff like that. I go, okay, then I need to say, if the Lord wills, every time. Do you ever do that? We kind of do that with our prayers too, don't we? In Jesus' name, right? I just ask him to bless this food that obviously is not going to nourish my body. But in Jesus' name, please somehow make this slop of junk nourish my body. That's what we do with stuff like this. We try to legalize it. Like that is our default. We are default towards legalism. So, a few things on this. Get a few things straight. This is not some formulaic expression where you just say it and then your plans are okay and they're blessed. This isn't some, some legalese that we just throw on our plans, on our plans, in order to make them sound spiritual. Excuse me. We don't need to say this without any spiritual meaning on it. It's not, that's not what James is saying. He's not saying just make your plans and do your stuff and say you're going to go here and to this city and that city and spend a year and make money and then say, if the Lord wills it. But you don't really mean that. What you mean is, I'm going to throw this on there to cover my bases, but I'm really just going to do whatever I want to do. That's not what James is telling us to do here. That's not what he wants. We know that. God is interested in the heart, not in our outward expressions of religious activity. So this needs to be something from the heart, a true spiritual desire of ours. This, as followers of Jesus, that, that, that we want to live out God's will for our lives and nothing else. Because that's really all we're here to do is to live out God's will for our lives. So then as soon as we get to that question, almost always someone here right now is going, yeah, but it'd be nice to know what that is. What is God's will? What do you mean by that? Like I've heard that in church over and over and over and over my whole life. God's will, God's will. What is God's will? Well, he's got a general will. For things in general but he has a specific will for you an individual specific will for your life that is independent and and unique to you and you alone now that's crazy when you think about it all the people that have lived and all the people that are living right now but i can give you a physical example of the world god says we can just look to what he created and and and, and learn and figure things out you know Every single snowflake that falls is unique. None of them are the same. How is that? How in the world is that possible? It's all water, frozen water. Somehow every single one of them under a microscope is a little bit different. All I'm saying is the God that can create that is the same God that can have a will for every each and every individual person here in this church and that has ever lived. God has a will for your life. So what is God's will? Here's a good place to start. Just start by obeying his commands. Oh, man. Right? <laughs> you ever feel that way about following God's commands? I don't ever feel that way. I'm always like, yippee-ki-yay, let's go. Woohoo! fun, fun, fun. No, but we do approach God's will that way sometimes. Like he's some cosmic killjoy. He just wants us to be miserable. It's not true. That's just not true. But start by obeying his commands. If you won't obey his commands, 
you won't do his will. Because ultimately, his will is that we obey him. So stop asking for God's will. God, reveal your will to me. He's like, I'm just asking you to be nice to your neighbor for five seconds. Start there. Right? Just obeying his ultimate big general will. And, his, and, and then his will will become more evident in your, in your life. Ultimately, he wants us to obey him. So if you're not willing to obey him, then you're not going to find out what his will is because that's where it starts. Seek him. Seek him in his word. Seek him in his word. I was having a conversation with someone just a, two days ago. Two days ago. They said, I've, I've finally read through the entire Bible this year. And it is amazing how many things have gone, oh, light bulb moments just click. Like I had heard that and I had heard this, but now I realize like it ties in here and it all, it's all, and it was like, it's amazing. It was amazing because I prayed for God to reveal that to me when I, when I read every day or every other day. This person missed a few days, but they caught up and they read through the entire word. And it was like, God like revealed things to me. And I said, yeah, it's funny. It's a funny prayer, right? It's funny how God always answers that prayer abundantly. God, reveal your word to me. God, when I open your word and I read through it, show me something. Give me something. Reveal your will to me, God. That prayer will get answered in the affirmative every single time. Because God wants you to know him. He's not scared to reveal his will to you. Living for his will is the best thing that we could do. It's the best way to live. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Spend time in fellowship with the saints that are endeavoring. And it is an endeavor for sure. That are endeavoring to do the same thing. God's will becomes more clear, much more clear, when we spend time with him. And that's how he's asked us to spend time with him. In his word, in prayer, and together as believers. Seek to know the what of God's will and the why. Now, you don't always get a why. Let me make that very clear. You don't always get a why. But seek to know what it is. Get the deeper understanding of what it is. Many times you'll get the why, and it's amazing when you do. Here's the, here's the, the, the bottom line, and we'll move forward. A reborn heart and spirit from faith in Jesus, should desire to do God's will. That's all there is to it. A reborn heart and spirit, when we are reborn from above, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and he puts the Holy Spirit in us, when we repent of sin and say, no, I'm following Jesus from now on, you are reborn from above, Scripture says, when that happens. And when that happens then we should want to do God's will. Now, your motivation will wane. Some, sometimes you really want to, and sometimes you barely almost don't want to, but you still kind of deep down want to. But if you never want to, then whatever you said, whatever you think you did to get saved, you probably just said some stuff and did some stuff, but you didn't really mean it from your heart. That was not in the notes. So somebody needed that. I don't know where that came from, but there it is. Now, the other thing that comes with this is 
paralysis by analysis, right? Well, if God's got a specific will for my life, <laughs> I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to go. So we just do nothing because we're scared to make a mistake. That's not what we need to do. It's just, it's amazing how when we're like, God, I think I'm trying to do the right thing. Oh, and then the next step comes, becomes clear. But you don't get way down there. That's probably for the best. Because if we got way down there, Scripture gives us examples. It would be so overwhelming, we wouldn't be able to take it. We wouldn't be able to. I mean, think about if you've lived more than 60 years. Raise your hand. if you. I'm just kidding. If you've lived more than 60 years, think, think about where you were at 15. Right? Now go back to your 15-year-old self. Now, if God would have said, when you get to X year, whatever that is for you right now, this is what's going to happen. You'd have been like, I'm out. Mm -mm. Too much. Can't understand it. Don't want to. No thank you. Even the good. It'd just be so overwhelming we couldn't stand it. But following God's will is like this. I think it's that step. I think it's that step. Bam! Okay, not that step. Okay, got it. You know, so that's how it feels sometimes. So what I'm saying is, and I'll go to my favorite president of all time to explain it. The only man who never made mistakes is the man who never does anything. So we're not paralysis by analysis here, okay? Not doing that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, from our heart, we should desire to do the right thing. And when we mess up, we should repent and come back. But when we mess up, don't just keep messing up. But don't be so afraid of messing up that you do nothing. It's faith. We step forward in faith. So, for all the plans that you're making and all the things you're thinking about, like, come back to that central truth. Like, have the heart and the desire that if the Lord wills, then I'll do this. If the Lord wills, then I'll turn this way or that way. Maybe... And this is probably why you don't want to know what God's will is sometimes. Maybe he says, yeah, that got to go. That ain't worth what you're, the time and energy and effort you're putting into it. And some of you already know what that is, and you're getting mad at me for saying it. Don't get mad at me. It's not my problem. It's not my fault. It's just the way it is. Don't like that. Come back to that same truth, though. Okay? Now, that's for you individually. Now, with that same exact thought in mind, from your pastor, hopes, dreams, plans as we move forward. Okay? So some of us may have missed some of these memos and those types of things, so let, let's get to them together. First of all, this was approved in our December business meeting. Okay? Phase one. Not all these things, just phase one. Four-year renovation and stage remodel. Okay, that was approved, and we're about to start on that this coming Sunday, a week from, yeah, a week from today. We're going to start on that, okay? Why? Because we have should upkeep God's house. Anybody lived in the house for 50 years and never touched it or renovated it or done anything to it? No. You don't do it with your personal houses. Why would we do it with God's house? So we need to update. We need to keep things going. We need to keep things fresh and, and inviting and moving forward and reflecting our heart. For excellence for God. So phase one, renovation on uh, the foyer and the stage. Phase two, hopefully, if it gets approved, if you disagree this is where we need to go, then that, that, that's the way it goes. That's fine. 
But update in here. Okay, these are all things the building and grounds committee are working on. Update the sanctuary. And then phase three, new flooring in the foyer in the sanctuary. Finish up with new flooring in here because I don't know if you've looked at this carpet in a while. But it's time for it to be updated. And we'll leave it at that, right? If the Lord wills, I would like for this to be done by this summer. I think that's possible for all three of these phases to be done by this summer. And we can move on to our next rat killing, okay? Now, these, I think are good, but they may make you a little uncomfortable. And for that, good. 100%, right? These next, these next goals, these next things that I'm about to say, my, my heart, my hope, my desire is that 100% of the people that are members of this church that have said, yes, I am committed to serving locally at this church. 100% of those people, not 99, not 99.9, 100% of people that consider this church to be their church, they are committed members to this church. This is what I hope as we move forward in 2023. And the first one, <laughs> daggum preachers always go there first, don't they? 100% of the members of this church give. 100%. That is my hope. That is my prayer. That 100% of the members of this church give. Because ungenerous Christian is not a real thing. It's just not. I don't want you to give so I can get a raise. I don't want you to give just so we can do physical things in this building. I want you to give because God says we should. Because your heart will be made right by doing it. And ministry costs. Meeting needs of the world costs. Getting the word of God out costs. It costs our energy. It costs our time. And it darn sure costs money too. Giving. 100% of our members give this year. How much? That's between you and the Lord. Cheerfully. 100% of our members involved in Sunday morning Bible study. Sunday school. Whatever you want to call it. 100% of our members involved in Sunday morning Bible study. You want to grow? This out here is kind of like the big rudder of the ship. But it's not where you grow. This is like the cherry on top of a great dessert. But all that stuff happens back here and out there. You want to grow? Get involved with a small group of people studying God's word, trying to live out his will. 100% of our people involved in Sunday a.m. Bible study. 100% of our members read scripture at least four days a week. I was going to say read through the Bible in a year, but that's not what I want us to do. I really don't. I don't care if you read the same book over and over and over, over and over and over and over and over. I mean, like just read James. If we could just read James over and over and over and just apply like three things in there, we'd turn the whole community upside down. Read scripture at least four days a week. That's a majority of our days every week, 100% of our people. Excuse me, make prayer our first reaction instead of our last resort. 100% of our people get serious about prayer, me included. I'm not perfect. You know that. You know me. I struggle with this too because I don't, it's hard for me to communicate sometimes, which is weird because I stand here and talk for a living. I'm talking about one-on-one. -on -one. That's hard for me. It's hard for me to express how I feel, what I think, what I'm going through. I don't know. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. It's hard for me to do it with God sometimes. Make prayer our first reaction instead of our last resort. First timers 
Hmm. Now it's time to get uncomfortable. First timers at our church every single Sunday this year. There's only one way that happens. And that's if you and me get off our rumps and talk to people and invite them to church. I don't know about you, but church helps me. Church inspires me. Coming here, I look forward to coming here and being together. It helps my life. It makes a difference for me. And I hope you feel the same way. And if that is true, then why in the world would we not want more people to experience that? That's just, doesn't make, it's like, let's get out there and invite people. Think about this. We've got about 70, 75 couples, families, you could say, in this church. There's 52 Sundays in a year. This one already happened, so now there's 51. So if like 66% of our couples and families invite one person and get one person to come to church, then we meet that goal. So a third of you ain't even got to do this one, and we can still do it. Well, we could do it. It's, it's possible. It's attainable. It is a real thing. All right. Shift in your seats and get it over with. A hundred percent of us, me included, share the gospel with at least one person this year. Ninety percent of Christians have never shared the gospel. Like if Paul were to go, poof, and appear right here, and we would tell him that, he would be like, what? Nine out of ten of y'all? Hadn't shared the, your faith ever? That doesn't even make sense. How can you not go share the saving truth of Jesus Christ? It changes people's eternity. Of course you're going to go talk about that. How could you not? Evangelism is not something you do only if you're gifted in it. I mean, you talk about every single thing else in your life that you care about with ease. Everything shouldn't be any different for Jesus. Either that, or we just really don't care about him. We're just keeping him in our back pocket for when we can pull him out for when we really need him. But the rest of the time, it's like, eh, I got a ball game to go to. Uh oh. I'm gone from preaching to meddling. Careful. Last one on the 100. 100% of our members serving in at least one ministry. Now, we're pretty close to that already. This is one of those things that we're fairly decent at. I mean, we're pretty good at this, honestly. Almost all of you are, are serving somewhere in at least one thing, but some of us aren't. And we ought to be. 100% of us serving in a ministry. We need people on the safe team. We need men on the safe team. We need, we need people driving buses on Sunday mornings. We always can use more nursery workers. We need people making lunches on Sunday mornings for bus riders. We always, and I mean always, and we welcome more hands and eyes on Wednesday nights that are willing to share their time and share the truth and grace of Jesus on Wednesday nights. We can always use more people doing that. And here's the thing. It's not that the church needs there to be 100%. It's that you need to be serving. You need to be serving. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're not serving in a ministry of a local church? I mean, I just don't understand. A an unserving Christian is an oxymoron. That's not a real thing. 
follower of Jesus serves somehow, some way. Y'all like that one, I could tell. Moving on. More goals. Any of you that know me know this is near and dear to my heart. At least one family, one family in this church become foster parents this year. I'm praying. Somebody's going to be mad at me because God's going to answer that prayer. And then you're going to thank me later because your life's going to change in ways you couldn't possibly understand. Because you're going to meet a need that needs to be met so bad. Do you know if just one family in Arkansas, if one family in each of our SBC churches, if we just had one family in each of our SBC churches, foster care would be taken care of in Arkansas? We wouldn't need anybody else. The church could literally fix this problem with one family from each church. We've got to step up and do it. We have to. Like the director of our, of our children and family ministries, Derek Brown, said at our last board meeting, he went through some, some things about what's happening behind the scenes. with the, our, This ministry is exploding, church. I mean exploding. And we aren't even close to meeting the need. And it's exploding. We are the largest private adoption agency in the country. The people at the head of our state government are saying, this is the model. We need to do it like this. It's like, yeah, but they say, they say in their bylaws they're going to talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's great. But whatever they're doing is working. So let's do it that way. Derek said, the state, how many times do we complain about government? How many times do you complain about the government? The government, the state government of Arkansas is asking the church to fill this need. Asking the church to fix this. Are we going to fix it? Are we going to do anything about it? Or just sit around and watch our society crumble and then complain that nobody's doing anything about it. More goals. The diversity of our congregation to grow. That's my heart. If you don't like that, I don't know. Shoot me. I don't know what to tell you. The diversity of our congregation to grow. A church that doesn't reflect its community will die. It may be a slow, long, painful, drawn out, over decades death, but it will die. A church that does not reflect its community will die. Didn't know I wouldn't get an amen on that one. First responders to know who we are. What do I mean by that? I mean that they know the people of First Baptist Church of Danville love them and care for them and are willing to help them. They do things for them. They pray for them. They let them know they're praying for them. They send them baskets and gift baskets. And it doesn't have to be any official thing that we have some tagline name on here at the church. You could just be you doing it as an individual person. That's the fan. That's dying, apparently. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> all right. Our people on the front lines, and I mean all of them when I say first responders, police, emergency, nurses, all of them, they need to know that Jesus loves them. 
They need to know Jesus' love and his grace and his truth and his compassion. And the only way they know that is if Jesus' followers get out and do it. Same thing for educators. You don't think being an educator right now is hard? One, you're a fool. And two, go over there and spend a few minutes. And you will be learned up real quick that it is definitely difficult. Or you could sit on your duff and complain about how the schools aren't doing this and the schools aren't doing that. You could do that, but all you're doing is adding to the problem and my frustrations and headaches. The educators know who the followers of Jesus in this church are. That's my heart. I hope, I hope and pray for that. That we learn and know and love our community. How are we going to do that, preacher? Information coming soon. Glad you asked. We'll help you do that more and better very soon. Some information coming. To grow in fellowship with each other. Anybody remember 2020? When we couldn't be together? That stunk. Bad. I don't mean just here. I mean in general. In here and out there. Like we couldn't be together. And like the church longed for fellowship. Well, we don't have an excuse anymore. We don't have an excuse anymore. So let's do that. More on that coming later too. How are you going to do that, preacher? we got an idea. Here's a few things we're going to do here real soon. Lunch, Learn, Pray starts this Wednesday at 11 a.m. I'm leading a Bible study. You're welcome to come. I'm not feeding you, but you can bring your food. And we'll learn, and we'll pray together. We're going to start with the book of Romans. thought we'd start with something light and easy, you know. <laughs> uh, communion, the last Sunday of each month. Business meetings every other month on the third Sunday. Forrest, don't you dare amen that. <laughs> fifth Sunday, Nights of Worship, coming up this fifth Sunday in January. How cool is that? We get to start with one this first month. Forks and Fellowship, more information coming on that, but all of it is, is, an, is an opportunity to foster more fellowship with each other in the church. We'll be giving you more info on that soon. All of that to say this, I don't know if all that's going to work, and we'll correct and we'll go back and forth. If we're doing things with the hope of honoring and glorifying Jesus, then it's the right thing, even if it's the wrong thing. And he'll help us know where to turn, where to stop. Your wisdom will help us know where to turn and where to stop, where to keep going, where to pour gasoline on things. But we need to do everything that we can do to fulfill the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to make Jesus known and glorified to a lost and dying world. The mission of the church is not to bring you here on Sunday mornings and entertain you. That is not the mission of the church. That's a fringe benefit. What am I saying? This is the tagline on our, on our website. My heart, my hope, my dreams, my desire, my plans as the pastor of this church for 2023 is that we would be the church for people making a difference by staying close to Jesus. We're making a difference in each other's lives, in the lives outside of here, because we are in the word, we are praying, we are together, we are close to Jesus, and you can't help but make a difference when you're close to Jesus. I'll pray for us and we'll finish up in song. Father, I come to you today and I thank you that you love us. Lord, that I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that, that your will is the most purposeful and meaningful 
way that we could possibly live our lives, God. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart that would desire your will and, and, and not run from it and not be scared of it and, and not think that it's, that it's going to be drudgery because it's not, God. But, but remind us of that. Put that back in our hearts for those of us that have left that to the wayside. Remind us that being close to you is the only way to live, is the most wonderful way to live. God, remind us of all that this morning. Strengthen us in that truth. God, if anybody's here today and doesn't know you as Savior, as King, as Lord, would today be the day of salvation, God? Will they obey and come forward today and proclaim that to the church so that we can celebrate together? Lord, we ask all these things in the one and only name in which has the power and authority to ask these things, and that's the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.